0: Perfect Hell Surprise Cosmic Cubbies Alive
1: Hey there and welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is April 1968. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. So, April 1968. It had uh, one of the most tragic events uh, in American history take place, which was the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So, I think what we're going to do this episode is we're going to switch up the order of things a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about that first. Then we're going to take a break because uh, that's a heavy thing to try to follow up. I think we'll just go ahead and and, and jump straight into it and we'll see how this goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee at 6.01 p.m. on April 4th, 1968 at the age of 39. He had been in Memphis to organize striking sanitation workers who were attempting to unionize. The day before, he had delivered his final speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop. The name of the speech comes from a section of it in which he reflected on the many threats to his life that he had received. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. At the time of his murder, Dr. King was preparing to go to dinner with Ralph Abernathy and several associates. He returned to his room to get his overcoat and was shot in the neck by James Earl Ray, who had rented a room at a nearby boarding house that had a view of the hotel. Dr. King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital and was pronounced dead at 7.05 p.m. Two and a half hours after Dr. King was shot, the owner of the Lorraine Hotel where he was staying, Lorraine Bailey, suffered a stroke. She died five days later on the day of Dr. King's funeral at the age of 58. Immediately following Dr. King's assassination, presidential candidate Robert
0: F. Kennedy appeared at a scheduled campaign rally in Indianapolis. Senator Kennedy delivered a short speech that has been credited with helping to limit some of the rioting that took place in other American cities in the aftermath of the assassination. He began by announcing Dr. King's death, which had not been publicly announced at that point. Kennedy acknowledged that many in the audience would be filled with anger, especially since the assassin was believed to be a white man. He empathized with the audience by referring to the assassination of his brother, the remarks surprised Kennedy aides, who had never heard him speak of his brother's death in public. Kennedy then delivered one of his best-remembered remarks. "'What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence or lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another, and a feeling of justice towards those who will suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black.'"
1: So Indianapolis remained calm, uh, but riots erupted in more than 100 cities across the United States, uh, eventually killing 35 and injuring more than 2,500. On April 7th, a National Day of Mourning was observed. Nina Simone dedicated her performance at Westbury Music Fair to Dr. King. Uh, She performed the song Why the King of Love is Dead for the First Time. On April 8th, U.S. Senator Edward W. Brooke of Massachusetts was the first to propose that Dr. King's birthday, January 15th, be made a national holiday. And 15 years later, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was finally established, to be observed on the third Monday of every January.
0: On April 9th, Dr. King's funeral was held in Atlanta, Georgia. A private service for family and friends took place at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. King and his father had both served as senior pastors. A three-mile procession of 150,000 mourners followed, with a public service taking place at Dr. King's alma mater, Morehouse College.
1: On April 11th, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1968, which included the Fair Housing Act. For the first time in American history, it was now a violation of federal law for a homeowner to refuse to sell or rent a dwelling to a person based upon race, color, religion, or national origin. On April 16th, the Memphis sanitation strike, which had brought Martin Luther King Jr. to the site of his assassination, ended after 65 days with an agreement between the city of Memphis, Tennessee, and its 1,300 garbage collectors, whose right to organize a labor union took effect immediately.
0: On April 17th, the FBI identified a suspect in the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., filing a request for an arrest warrant and releasing a photograph of fugitive, Eric Starvo Galt, which would turn out to be an alias for James Earl Ray. Three days later, the FBI placed Eric Starvo Galt on its 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. Ray had already fled to Toronto by this point, where he hid for more than a month before acquiring a Canadian passport under the false name of Raymond George Snade. Using his new passport, he traveled to England, where he was arrested on June 8th and extradited to Tennessee. Tennessee. Ray confessed to the crime on March 10, 1969, and was sentenced to 99 years in prison. It's important to note that the King family came to believe that Ray was not solely responsible for Dr. King's assassination. They won a civil suit against Lloyd Jowers, a restaurant owner in Memphis, who was found legally liable for the murder. A new investigation into Dr. King's assassination was ordered by Attorney General Janet Reno in 1998. In 2000, the U.S. Department of Justice released a 150-page report rejecting allegations of a conspiracy to murder Dr. King.
1: So Dr. King has been canonized as a saint by mainstream American culture, you know, by this point in 2021. I think it's important to remember that that was absolutely not the case at the time of his murder. There's a woman uh, in who grew up in Houston, Texas, named Ina McDonald, um, and she remembered that as a young white woman living in the South when Dr. King was assassinated, I saw glee, satisfaction, and weeping in equal parts. When Dr. King was murdered, this is kind of shocking. He was less popular than Donald Trump is today. Uh, A 1966 Gallup poll found that nearly two-thirds of Americans had an unfavorable opinion of him. According to a 1968 Harris poll, which was conducted right before his assassination, Dr. King's public disapproval rating was almost 75%. And at the time, 31% of Americans said that they thought Dr. King brought his assassination on himself. So I think that's important to recognize and realize, um, again, as part of the context that we read these issues in, this was America at the time. So, you know, sometimes we criticize and joke about sort of the very tentative half measures of trying to show racial equality uh, in Marvel Comics at the time. But there were a lot of people who were absolutely not ready for it. Um, And some of the strides that were being made at this point, as minor as they seem now in retrospect, were actually pretty huge um, for any sort of mainstream culture at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, those polls, I mean, granted, those polls may be skewed toward white people, but they do show that most Americans uh, did not see Dr. King favorably. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Yep. So that's that. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about some funny books here on Marvel by the Month. All right. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. So uh, we we decided that you know, we're going to kind of rearrange the structure of this episode. We're going to talk about the historical stuff up front and then we're going to kind of take a little break to, you know, sort of cleanse the palate a bit um we didn't really expect to take as long of a break uh, <laughs> as we wound up taking uh we we, we had some uh, some technical issues uh and we're actually recording this part of the episode a week after uh the part you just heard so there you go a peek behind the curtain uh, mm-hmm. at marvel by the month studios but i think we've already waited a week we can't wait any longer we got to bring our guest in here You know him. He is the Eisner Award winning editor of Image Comics' Pop Gun anthology. He's the writer of too many great comics to name. Some of them include Shudder, Glory, Ringside, Stellar, Marvel Knight's Hulk, and Morbius, the Alive Dracula. And he's the marketing (laughs) genius who described George Lucas's Howard the Duck movie as E.T. for kids who love porkies. (laughs) Joe Keating, welcome back to Marvel by the Month.
2: (laughs) That was really the high point of my career right there.
1: You're in the wrong business, man. That is the perfect line. I, I used to, I used to
2: do comics marketing way back in my past life.
1: So there you go. You I still got it. Still got it, baby. Well, uh, Joe, first of all, uh, congratulations on an extraordinarily successful Kickstarter for the Bebop number one uh, where you have a story.
2: Oh yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Uh, it's this uh, local Portland, Oregon publisher named Birdseye. And they said, Hey, you know, we're putting this anthology together. Uh, Would you want to do anything you want for 10 pages? And I said, Yes. And uh, (laughs) yeah, Stefano, the artist, is a guy I've had my eye on for a really long time and I've wanted to work with. And it's one of the more bonkers comics I've ever written, but it's also, I don't know, extremely personal. It's, uh, but yeah, whatever. It's cool. It's called Skull Man Man with a Thousand Skulls. Uh, It's pretty sweet. Um, Yeah. I'm really stoked for y'all to read it.
1: Well, it's, uh, yeah, we can't wait to get our hands on it. Uh, and, you know, talking of alternative means of distribution of comics, let's say, um, <laughs> we wanted to bring you in for this episode because we know that, like, sort of comics distribution is, it's an area of interest for you. Mm-hmm. This is something you pay a lot of attention to. Um, I think one of the first times we had you on, you told us that, You know, the the history of comics is the history of distribution. And yeah, yeah, and we have a really interesting uh, experiment that Marvel is trying this month. Um, We're going to take a look at Marvel's first attempt uh, at a comics magazine under the Marvel banner, which also just because it was a magazine and not a comic book. It was also the first non-Comics Code approved comic uh, that they published since starting the Marvel line. Not quite,
2: my friend. Oh, really? (laughs) Again, yeah, uh, so old jovial Joe has a second passion that we're getting into in this episode, which is magazine management. Marvel's parent companies, like where the money was really at, were these lines of men's uh, adventure magazines, and that birthed the first non-code approved Marvel black and white magazine. Which we'll talk about a bit later, which is probably the most bonkers thing Marvel <laughs>
1: ever published. Yeah, so I'm excited um, about it. You we we won't get into it right now, but you did send us uh about an hour before we started recording, you're like Get a load of this We're like, oh my (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah yeah. Well, uh, before we get into all that um, There are a bunch of other Marvel comics That were published this month uh, That we read for this episode So, uh, Rob, why don't you uh, step into the driver's seat And walk us through some of the quick hits here
0: I would be happy to Okay, so not counting reprints, westerns Or fashion romance comics Marvel published 15 comic books And one magazine, as we mentioned This month, so we read 15 because sergeant fury is still not on marvel unlimited That's a um, we've written angry letters but it's still not happening so here's <laughs> our quick hits that we could read uh on marvel unlimited uh, amazing spider-man number 62 make way for medusa medusa comes to new york to try to understand humanity a little better and winds up getting tricked into brawling with spider-man by some
1: unscrupulous advertising executives can you imagine that someone who works in advertising could be shady oh,
0: and and just looking to they're like that lady has nice hair let's sell hairspray uh yep that's the deal <laughs> well,
2: i thought that was a genius i mean i who knows how much of his intentional but such a genius like all right I'm going to come to check out humanity. I'm Medusa. I'm checking out humanity. And so I can report back to the humans. What's humanity really like? And she's in New York for like five seconds. And she also, she's got a contract to start advertising hairspray. And then they concoct a fight with Spider-Man because he's there, you know, and it's going to raise sales, but then it backfires. I mean, it really is this amazing parable on capitalism.
0: (laughs) And it was a good thing to go report back on humanity if you want to just (laughs) It's like, let's not.
2: (laughs) You know, yeah. she's like, we're good. We're going to go to the moon.
0: We're out of here. Yeah, (laughs) we're moving. Yeah, As far away from you as we can. Um, So, uh, in Captain America number 103, uh, or Issue three, uh, the the weakest link, the Red Skull kidnaps Agent 13, who finally gets a real name this issue, believing that his love for uh, her is Captain America's greatest weakness.
1: I I guess we should mention her name is Sharon Carter, which I think everyone knew. Yeah.
0: Yeah and Captain Marvel number 3 Captain Marvel tricks the super scroll into super hypnotizing himself and sends him packing in what has to be his 15th consecutive defeat by this point
1: Yeah I I don't know how he's able to keep calling himself the super scroll At a at a certain point you have to produce man Yeah I got to say you know what super is the color scheme on the cover for this issue
2: it's like all green yes. and it's sort of like you know, kind of precursor to the third eye stuff in, in yep. a weird, wild way. I saw that my eyeballs exploded. It was beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really unusual for them to not throw uh, at least all of the primaries on the cover. So for them to to, to do that kind of muted or analogous color scheme is pretty cool. Um, Doctor Strange number one hundred and seventy. Uh, Doctor Strange faces off against the evil Lord of the Dream Dimension, Nightmare. In uh, what we eventually learned was just a little confidence booster that the ancient one set up. Thanks, pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Just needed to get
0: him an easy W. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Fantastic Four, number 76, stranded in Subatomica, the Fantastic Four minus Sue, who is still very pregnant and about to pop, uh, they get super tiny. Uh, to find the silver surfer in Subatomica, finally, because th- they started, they got all ready to go, and then a whole issue happened in between there. Um, so now they they went. Uh, the sur- they find him. The surfer agrees to help Galactus out with his hunger pangs yet again. Uh, but the FF stick around in the microverse to settle the psychoman's hash.
2: I gotta say page six on this is one of my favorite of all time Silver Surfer drawings. Of course it's curvy and sinnet so it's beautiful no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But it's Silver Surfer flying through the microverse just being totally stoked and joyful for probably the first time. That yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's such a great page.
0: Yeah, I love seeing the Silver Surfer smiling As much as I like seeing J.J. J. smiling, which is always two different, very, you know, very different things. Uh, (laughs) Jonah's always smiling when he thinks that Spider-Man's dead or something. But uh, but the Surfer's just like such freedom. And he's got the craziest, most innocent look when he smiles. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible Hulk number one hundred and five. This monster unleashed. The Hulk fights the missing link, which is kind of the evolutionary ancestor of modern humans, but not actually. It's not exactly clear.
1: I kind of spent a lot of time just sort of writing in circles around that. And then it's like, ah, screw it. They're just going to fight.
0: It's like an irradiated caveman with diamond hard skin.
1: Yeah, uh, something like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in Iron Man number three, while fabricating a new suit of armor uh, to save Tony Stark's life, Happy Hogan turns back into the freak again uh but fortunately iron man is able to handle him so uh uh, sort of trick him into a in a number of weird cartoonish ways into an (laughs) armored car i think that time yeah
2: i want to point out this issue has is drawn by johnny craig people probably know from ec comics fan
1: yes yeah
2: so it's a pretty sweet i I don't know EC artists on Iron Man seemed to work out. So Mm
1: -hmm. that was a pretty sweet issue. Yeah, he'd he'd inked a few issues and then he started being the penciler. Um, But yeah, I am a big EC guy. So uh, seeing Johnny Craig's name pop up in the credits made me very, very happy.
0: It is so funny that, uh, you know, I'm just starting to associate all these things because EC for me was always just something I read. Never really thought about. This is when I was younger. Never really thought about the creators. Just was devouring stories. Mm -hmm. So now starting to connect all these dots is pretty awesome. Knowing, learning about everybody in superheroes and then getting, getting the way back machine for that. Speaking of superheroes, Marvel superheroes, number 15, let the silence shatter. Medusa is coerced into working with her old frightful four cronies, uh, around her, you know, um, dabbling in advertising. Uh, so (laughs) who claim to have a way to help black bolt control his destructive voice. Um, the wingless wizard is tr- is the main trickster here but as soon as she realizes they're planning to betray her she takes them out single-handedly uh yeah <laughs> even single heredly
1: or yeah it's a busy yeah it, it's a it's a busy uh month for medusa she gets like two starring roles in two different issues
0: uh nick fury agent of shield number two so shall ye reap death Nick Fury and newly minted S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jimmy Woo face off against Centurius, who plans to wipe out life on Earth with 40 days and 40 nights of radiation, uh, and then repopulate it with creatures from his automated rebirth colonizer, the Ark. So
1: Get it? it yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> subtle biblical metaphor. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised
2: you guys had this as a quick hit, because I thought, I mean, I'm a big strinkle guy. In sure. fact, Here's a fun fact not a lot of people know, because I don't know why they would know. But somewhere in the archives of this comic store in, um, in Maryland, Collector's Corner, I did like an hour and a half interview with storenko for a, a small convention they had. Oh, wow. I don't know where it's at. But anyway, I did a crazy deep dive his entire career before then. He was very impressed.
0: We talked about this briefly on maybe the first time you were on the podcast. And I don't think it was on the air part of the podcast, but oh, okay. you did say something like, uh, sterenko has a lot of stories and after talking to him for a while I think they're true
2: you know or I think <laughs> most of
0: them are true you my, know cause my, my theory
2: on him for the longest time was it's either all true or none of it's true. Yeah. And uh, I think it's all true, at least in some form or another.
1: We need to get you and your buddy Ibrahim uh, to talk Steranko <laughs> for half an hour because. Oh, dude. Yeah. Cause, cause,
2: cause Ibrahim, Ibrahim has the same theory, except I think he thinks that it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he was
0: giving us the dish on that. He was, uh, he's from having met Steranko just very briefly, like in a lobby at a hotel. Uh, yeah. And he's like,
2: um, there's there's I will no say way. this issue, I think, is beautiful. Like the, oh, yeah. the Jim- mm-hmm. uh initial sequence, which I think is seriously like four pages, is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, page five, which is his fury hanging out at his pad with his lady, is I mean, just a. They don't use any captions on it whatsoever, except for the very first panel of which there's like six six words, and the rest of it silent, which is really weird for the period of time. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, had a great line my outburst of emotion my oath of vengeance um and uh yeah page 10 i thought was sort of a master class and like if you're gonna do exposition here's how to do it probably shouldn't (laughs) but if you're gonna do it do it like this yeah yeah yeah, man no i could go and then the, the one page i was like wait a second was so stranko's a guy who obviously got a lot of commissions even at this point in time Page seventeen, which is the King Kong fighting the dinosaur, I was like, "Is this a commission you wrote?" No, <laughs> are you <laughs> double dipping, Jim? <laughs> Cause, cause, cause it's a little, it's a little wild. I don't know. It doesn't really fit in. It's dope. It's yeah, King yeah. Kong yeah. fighting a T Rex, so it's awesome. But it just, just smells to me that he was like, "All right, well, I got this the thing. At least that'll cover a page. I work that in. I'll make it happen." And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he makes it happen. Also, I thought Jim Stranko did a great job as the director in this comic book. Uh, there, a director shows up, and I'm like, oh, that's just Stranko. <laughs> <Like many laughs> oh, yeah. Characters, but this one, even more so than usual. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, man. I mean, if, if you haven't read this this run on Nick Fury before, you're in for a treat. It, yep. it's, it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it is. A, I mean, we covered uh, number one more in depth last last week. It was uh, or last you know, last airing episode of the you know chronology, but it, it he it's bonkers. Like he's just he's writing. It's it's like Roy Thomas when he was writing early X Men, but on like mushrooms. It's like Inception. You got to read it twice to figure out what's going on sometimes. Um, yeah. And this one is just like they're filming King Kong in the middle of this, but there are real monsters, yeah. and the T Rex is biting a monorail, or you just like any weird thing. It just seems like you you throwing darts at like, just, I want to draw a monorail and a T-Rex and King Kong. (laughs) And, uh, this, uh, underground giant, you know, base that looks like the coolest mall you've ever been in. And, you know, that's what, and then he writes a story into it.
1: It's so funny. Like the, the, the Starenko Nick Fury stuff just doesn't even feel like it's being published by the same company. Like, no. And, and, Which would maybe not seem so weird, except that Marvel has such a clearly defined house style by this point that this one just it's like, I don't know how he worked the deal so that he was able to just kind of do whatever the hell he wanted. Um, But it's brilliant. Like it's it's always something where whether whether I think it's a great issue or not, I always look forward to reading whatever he's doing that month Um, just because I know Mm -hmm. it's going to be so completely different from everything else. Yeah, again, a, another
0: issue of bringing Ibrahim and Joe together to to duke it out over Starenko.
1: You know
2: what's weird, though? We have the opposite opinion, but we kind of agree.
1: Yeah. I and I have yeah. talked about this
2: before. <laughs> like, both things are – I don't know. This is like total paradox, but both things are kind of true.
0: You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Yes. Like, it's all true. It's also kind of not. Like, I don't know. It's just got to go with it. But, yes.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah, that's kind of sometimes the uh the so bad it's good or the so good it's bad. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, there's the the those things are true. Um
1: when when you follow both ends of the extreme around, it eventually yeah. winds up meeting at another yeah. point. Yeah.
0: Um okay, last couple of quick hits. Submariner number three, Namor and Triton team up to take down the still inexplicably overpowered plant man. Uh he's got uh, a giant base that he I guess he stole. Uh, it's hard to understand exactly how he got that, but um, we, and once
1: again, he was the Human Torch's ex girlfriend's fired gardener. Yeah, and and now he's got like an undersea base,
0: and he's British now,
1: and he's British <laughs> now, which that's a new thing. That you just suddenly he's British.
0: It's not like Stan was very subtle about writing uh, any Cockney or British, even a you know an upper class British accent has a rather in there. Yes. Um so. It's funny that it just suddenly, he's he's mad at London. I think, again, it was just mostly, he's like, I don't why would he be attacking London? It's because he's British. And somebody's like, <laughs> go write that. There's some uh, great art in that, though. I was very happy. I was happy to read it. And I love to see the underwater team up with Triton. So that was nice. Thor number 153, lame Dr. Blake and Sif return to Earth to retrieve Thor's hammer from Loki. But Thor's attempt to teach his brother a lesson is interrupted by Odin, who warns them of dire threat to Asgard. It's also the first issue since Journey into Mystery number 96 that there is no backup story going forward. Thor is a single story book.
1: Yep. So the no more Inhumans backups, no more tales of Asgard. Uh, You get 20 pages of Thor every month.
0: You
2: know, one of those pages... Page nineteen is one of many of uh, awesome Jack Kirby Odin splash pages. Yes, uh, Jack Kirby can draw the hell out of a dude with a with a beard for a, a whole page, and uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a classic right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, every time I see one of those Kirby splash pages, typically when an artist does a splash page it's because they're you know they're trying to like catch up on the page count right you know it's like rather than do you know six small panels you do one big panel and you know you're moving on and you know it's a it's an indulgent thing it's fun to do but i don't think kirby takes any less time to do a splash page than he does to do a six or nine panel grid like he may even take more time to do it because he just gets so meticulous on all the little details look at that headdress odin's wearing that thing had to take a minute to draw
0: also vince coletta uh he stepped up the inking on this so much that i had to keep looking that it wasn't senate on a couple on many pages i was Mm -hmm. like i would get in it a bit and i was like this is just so clean like you know senate has that extra wide sort of stroke around figures often. And, and sometimes, and sometimes people say that looks too cartoony and not as rendered well, but Coletta's like stroke is kind of all over the place <laughs> most of the time. So this one just seemed like he took, he had some time to take on it. I obviously he's good. He just, he's the guy they hand the thing when there's five seconds before <laughs> deadline.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say is like, it, it sounds like he might've had more than two and a half days to ink it. But I mean, Colette is there's, numerous examples of him pencil and ink being a really solid artist it's just that that's not the job he was often tasked with uh in the early days of marvel comics he was or in in dc for that matter he was the guy who when the book needs to ship tomorrow he can have it inked for you tonight yeah Um,
0: and i i mean i do respect having done this design work and advertising crap for so long like sometimes having the person that's like good enough and it it will work <laughs> for what you need it does it, it it's like this is for a thing that's gonna run for two days uh for yeah. a sweepstakes just get this thing done and you know and it's great it's solid work yeah it's just not the best work
1: maybe that's not the guy i would put on eight years of a kirby book but you know <laughs> <laughs> it probably shipped on time yep. every single month yep yeah and i'm sure it did so those are the quick hits. Uh, I wanted to go uh, a little deeper on an issue, uh, and that issue is Daredevil number 41. Uh, the story is called The Death of Mike Murdoch. Uh, this one was written by Stan Lee. The art is by Gene Colan, inked by John Tartaglione. Um, so, uh, I mean, the title says it all. Um, Stan has gotten to the point where he realized that giving... Matt Murdock a second secret identity Is maybe more trouble than it's worth (laughs) Um, So he's going to take care of that uh, In this issue so this is the third And final part of the storyline That pit Daredevil against the Exterminator And the Unholy Three Um, So just to catch everybody up uh, The story so far is that the Exterminator A brand new villain Has a weapon called a T-Ray That displaces its targets in time Um, He used it Against Foggy Nelson's bad girl Girlfriend Debbie Harris Uh, And then he turned it on Daredevil. So they were sent to the kind of this nebulous netherworld. Um, uh, At the end of last issue, all the exterminators victims were popping back into reality except for Daredevil uh, because he'd gotten hit with a bigger dose of it. So will Daredevil ever get back to New York? Well, read on, true believer. Uh, The short answer is yes, he does. Of course he does. He uses his super senses to detect an opening in the temporal. You know, he just figures it out. <laughs>
0: just go He's got ahead. a window in limbo back to earth. And back there to we earth. go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You could tell that Stan Lee was as exasperated as you are, because I'm tasting and he says, <laughs> If it, this is the editor's caption, it goes, if this sounds kinda complicated to you, take heart believer. It's just as confusing to us. Like <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know, I, I, I got 15 of these right now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is as much explanation as you're going to get. I will say that page, page 10 and page 11, is like Daredevil mm-hmm. transitioning back to the time stream. I mean, yeah. I would kill to see the originals. of the Yes, original.
1: uh, you beat me to the punch. But that that first panel on page 10 is my panel of the month uh, this month. Um, so good. It's it's Daredevil's experience of being out of sync with time. So so he what happens is he he just he figures out how to get back to time, back into the real world. But um, he's still like a split second off. So he's not really he's kind of like a ghost. So Daredevil is rendered in color. Everything else is sort of this black and white line work. Um it's, it's like, like really. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Um and, and and Colin he just takes two-thirds of a page uh, to play with. It's all very pre-Frank miller Um it, it gives you mm-hmm. a sense of like, you know, this is going to be where this book is going to head eventually. Um, But it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's really unexpected. It's something I hadn't seen done before um, at this point uh, in Marvel comics. And yeah, just like the use of color and the use of just this really delicate line work to get this kind of ghostly vision across is, is really great.
0: And, you know, speaking of that pre Frank Miller, this is something they've been doing with daredevil all along. We don't really talk about it a lot, but the way daredevil's costume is always drawn It's, it's a red, you know, it's red tights, yeah Um, but there's always a lot of darkness on it. Like it's some weird satin or something. So there's always this uh, just light edges of red and lots of black. And it's just been the way he's been drawn. And, and you think I didn't really think about it too much. I thought about it a little bit, but then when I saw this on the black and white and it seemed so proto Frank Miller, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah this seemed that's just like a natural thing for him to go into drawing <laughs> to taking this comic on because it's already, uh he's just not drawn in the like bright way that Spider-Man or anybody else is, even when he's standing in daylight, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and it's something that's sort of evolved over time too, which has been great. They're, they're sort of realizing it's like, okay, we got to create some visual distinction between him and Spider-Man. Cause I mean, when he first shows up, he, he is, he's a Spider-Man knockoff, you know? I mean, that's, that's he's he's an acrobatic wisecracking superhero who wears mostly red but Colins finding some really interesting ways to distinguish him which i really love so yeah so daredevil is stuck in this weird you know phantom zone situation um he winds up getting himself unstuck in time by using his billy he just does it, <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> he just unsticks himself he's back in reality he
0: pulls it back to the future uh he, he just sort of catches the car Yeah,
1: like it's like he uses his Billy Club almost like a fishing rod or something, and like snags a car just so, and that pulls him back to okay. So then at that point, uh, Daredevil follows the unique vibrations of the T-Ray back to the Exterminator's lair. Um, He rescues Foggy, um, and then he decides, you know, this whole Mike Murdoch thing is for the birds. Um, So he blows up the Time Displacer in a way that makes it look as if he was killed in the blast as well. Uh, As soon as the machinery is destroyed, uh, everyone who had been zapped by it reappears and then Foggy finds a scrap of Daredevil's costume, which convinces him and everyone else that Mike Murdoch is dead. And we get next issue box, the new Daredevil. So I am actually legitimately interested to see how they're going to (laughs) thread this needle because I think I've read this story, but I don't remember what the explanation is. So, yeah, and
0: I do love it. This isn't like the the agony of like what you would normally see when a, and a hero dies. <laughs> they're,
1: yeah. They're like,
0: <laughs> uh, Foggy and Karen are like, man,
1: uh, you know, he lived a risky life, uh, moving yeah. along. And and, just, and Matt's like, yeah, he went out the way he would have wanted to. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's your secret twin brother. Come on, man. Easy come, easy go. Yep. Uh, well there you go So there's our quick hits um, We've got a couple uh, issues that we're going to take a deeper dive onto uh, But first we're going to take another break So keep listening Because we'll be back here on Marvel by the Month
0: Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's go through X-Men number 45 and Avengers number 53. There's a reason why we say and. This These stories overlap like nobody's business.
1: It's a crossover. It's
0: the Secret Wars of 1968. Um, <laughs> it's the Civil War of, I don't know. Anyway, so it's this uh, X-Men number 45 is called When Mutants Clash. It's written by Gary Friedrich, art by Werner Roth, with John Tartaglione inking. Um, The X-Men are still held held prisoner by Magneto in his island lair. Cyclops, understandably, is convinced that Angel never made it to the Avengers to ask for help. Uh, He had that Red Raven uh, side mission. So Cyclops works on freeing himself and the other X-Men. Eventually, Angel gets to Avengers Mansion, but yeah, there's a whole issue of him just doing this weird Side quest. So listen to the last episode if you want to hear about that.
1: That whole angel like taking the diversion for an issue when he's supposedly on this urgent mission just reminds me of the way that I play like every video game RPG. Oh, yeah. There's a cataclysm that is about to destroy the world It's like, that's great, but I have to collect 11 different colors of flower so that I can return them to the milkmaid so that she will give me. I don't know. Like, I'm
0: currently doing that with a uh, assassin's creed Valhalla. Like we're, we have a mission. I'm like, is that mission on a timer? Because there's a weird thing over here. It's like a goat that seems to be on a roof. I'm going to go check this out. You know? Um, so I've got to help that's... all these
1: chickens back into this pen or nothing else. I do matters.
0: Yep. So that's yeah. what angel did last issue. Um, yep. Uh, toad warns magneto that cyclops is free and magneto repays him by blaming him for the x-man's escape and blasts him with magnetic energy uh toad quicksilver tries to sell cyclops on the idea of forming a separate society with magneto for the good of mutant kind so it's uh, essentially the magneto's overarching goal for mutant kind the whole time. As we move forward to now, uh, Quicksilver doesn't take it well when Cyclops turns him down and they fight while Magneto watches them on a monitor. So he just sort of lets it go on.
1: That's why he needed to steal that giant computer from that ship in the previous to run all his
0: video equipment. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Cyclops barely defeats Quicksilver and he tries to catch his breath. The Avengers finally show up, uh, which is to be continued in Avengers number 53. Where we're headed right now.
2: Whoa. Well, can we sidebar to this backup story? Because it's gotta say it's got it's drawn by George Tusca and it's pretty cool looking. Yes. You know, shout out to George Tusca on that one.
1: So they've they've started doing uh short backup stories, uh which are like origin of X-Men kind of stories. Um so this is one second part of Iceman's origin, right?
0: Yeah. Bobby Drake used his powers to to help protect some some people uh from from some bullies slash muggers slash whatever and revealed that he had these ice powers and instantly he was feared and hated and chased by everyone in town yep uh and so he's hiding out and Cyclops comes and finds him but yeah, it is, it's like really solid
1: work. It's also great because with these like little backup stories and we saw this one, like Kirby was able to kind of cut loose with tales of Asgard. I think there's something really like fun and freeing for an artist where they've just got five or six pages to fill and they could really take a little bit of extra time and, and, and just really do it up. Um, it's an easy thing to fit into a schedule.
2: Well, we talked about a few episodes ago about, there was a Tales of Asgard about like a barbarians, um, or a Viking's funeral, and it was amazing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Know? And it was all like six pages, but it was like this tearjerker of a backup. So I think you're dead on, man, for sure. I think it's just a cool place to try out weird stuff. We're like George Tuska. can you do 20 pages this month? No. But can you do six and they're awesome? Yes. Yeah. You know?
0: Should we get into Avengers?
1: Yeah. So how did these Avengers show up uh at Magneto's Secret Base? <laughs> so uh this is this is called In Battle
0: Joined. It's written by Roy Thomas, art by John Buscema with George Tuska uh, inking. So the cover of Avengers 53 teases that they're um, Avengers versus the X-Men. Nuff said. Um, And so the Cyclops takes exception to Hawkeye aiming a drawn bow at him. So this is right how they they start off.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is also this is only the second time I think that the X-Men and the Avengers have met. And the first time was just sort of. Well, it was that epic Lucifer storyline uh, <laughs> where the Avengers show up and the X-Men are like, we got it. And the Avengers are like, OK, and they leave. Um, yep. So not not the most memorable crossover, but this is the first time they really get into it.
0: Yeah. So the so the Avengers are uh, we're seeing all of them like come in through like, I don't know, a ceiling hatch or something. But um Hawkeye's aiming at, at Cyclops. Cyclops zaps <laughs> zaps the arrow, and it leads to a big fight between Cyclops and all of the Avengers. And then while that's taking place, we see a flashback to Angel's arrival at Avengers Mansion. Angel tells them that, that Quicksilver or, and Scarlet Witch have signed back up with Magneto. That's all the convincing the Avengers need to, to let Angel guide them to Magneto's island. Um, When they arrive, they notice that there's an electronic bug hidden in Angel's feathers. The Avengers tell Angel that until they know whether or not he's in league with Magneto, he's staying bound up in their jet. So a lot of trust issues going on here.
1: So this is literally the first time that the Avengers have found out what happened to Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Like they kind of lost track of him. Um, Yeah,
0: and didn't look very hard. Got distracted. You know, there was a bunch of Hercules stuff.
1: You'd Um, think there would be a bylaw in there that required them to go, you know, like figure out when their teammates go AWOL, like what actually happened. Yeah.
0: After 48 hours, a teammate must report in by carrier pigeon or we send out. Yeah. Because Lord knows they love their bylaws. (laughs) Yep. So now Angel's tied up in the jet. This is, again, before our first panel. Hawkeye fires a camera arrow into Magneto's base, which shows Cyclops and Quicksilver's conversation. So this is when they're... Uh, Quicksilver's trying to talk Cyclops into, you know, joining Magneto to have like this, their separate uh, mutant uh, paradise.
1: Yeah. And we saw this arrow in the X-Men comic and there was a little caption saying, what's this doing here? Going to have <laughs> to read this month's Avengers to figure it out, true believer. Yeah, that was the, the big, the big tease to, to know something's up. So
0: they they see the conversation and that's all the convincing they need. The Avengers just bust in, uh, believe that the X-Men are on Magneto's side. So speaking of Magneto, he's delighted that the Avengers have arrived because now he- they'll fight the Avengers for him. Uh, so it, it makes them look even worse. And when Toad suggests this might not be the best plan, Magneto smacks him around a little more. So he's just the worst boss. Yeah, he is a classic villain at this point yeah the avengers have a little internal conflict with goliath and hawkeye getting into a scrap uh as they do and while that's going on we learn that magneto has a machine that will brainwash the x-men into fighting the avengers so that's what they do he he gets the rest of them right now cyclops is pretty much just <laughs> fighting all the avengers he brainwashes the rest of the x-men sends them off
1: yeah and and, and cyclops is is really holding his own like It's not really putting the Avengers over. Uh, Yeah,
0: it's putting Cyclops over for sure. Cyclops is doing great,
1: yeah. So now they're
0: brainwashed, all the X-Men are in it. The Avengers emerge victorious, contrary to Magneto's plan. He discovers that someone sabotaged his machine at the most crucial moment. And that someone is Angel, who the Avengers never doubted after all. They tied him up loosely and had the Wasp whisper the plan into his ear. Tiny Uh. Wasp whisper.
1: One of those classic Roy Thomas twists. <laughs>
0: just, it's like no hint to it. Just, to uh, yeah, there we are.
2: Well, I, I wonder how much is like, so I, Stan is still plotting this at, at, right at a certain point. Something like or, that. Yeah. Or, and by that, I mean, he's like, like all right, they're going to fight the X-Men for 20 pages. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> I have to imagine Roy Thomas or Gary Friedrich or whoever has to get it this month. is just like, what? Oh, all right. Oh uh, shoot uh, there's nothing that hints about how he knows this or why he's not tied up so I'm just gonna have it be a twist and a caption because yep.
0: we gotta wrap this thing up that's usually gotta, what happens it's gotta get out <laughs> yeah it's always like you know page 19 or 20 when you're like okay well this is how we're gonna wrap this one up
1: and uh yeah and and we you know I I, I enjoy teasing Roy Thomas in the early days uh, because there's some funny stuff, but we also did talk about um, was I think just the previous issue of Avengers where Black Panther it's the first issue where Black Panther is a full member of the Avengers and like he shows up at the mansion and like all the Avengers are dead and he's like what (laughs) it's a real Um, bad
0: first day at work yeah yeah, and and
1: that's (laughs) that's a super great issue and and we are heading into just like. There's some great, great Avengers uh, comics coming up, um, scripted by Roy, so.
0: Yeah, so this thing wraps up with uh, Mac- Magneto orders Toad to blow up the part of his fortress where the Avengers are, and then he smacks Toad again for good measure. And that's that's the final straw for Toad. Only 20 smacks and 4 million times you call me a fool or kick me. Um, so, he sets a one-minute self-destruct timer for the whole island. Uh, and <laughs> Uh, everyone manages to es- escape except magneto who toad prevents from getting on board the non-metal escape ship the non-metal
2: that's that's <laughs> the one that's the that's the dialogue twist i was like wait what because <laughs> again, you know this came on roy's desk and he's like oh shoot why wouldn't Magneto just like use his magnetic powers on the helicopter yeah okay well i'll have toad remind magneto that he built a non-metal ship just to prove you could do it,
0: like, <laughs> I like that too. All
2: right, why not? You're Magneto, do whatever. Yeah,
0: uh, so the island explodes and we see Magneto's helmet
1: floating in the water. So, <gasps> probably never hear from that guy again. Yeah, that probably he's probably gone. Well, there you go. Uh, so yeah, the first Avengers uh, X Men. The first actual meaningful Avengers X-Men crossover, which is uh, it's pretty cool. It's also like it's a little surprising to me that it took this long to really get the two teams to cross over because they debuted in the same month, like five years ago at this point. Um, Yeah. And
0: it's not like the film rights were sold to competing, you know, companies or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But yeah, I guess, you know, uh, I I know that Friedrich wrote uh, this month's X-Men, but, you know, Roy has been writing it. So. I get the feeling that he just kind of laid the groundwork for it when he was scripting both books and, and that's how we got here. So,
0: yeah, it was, It I mean, it was enough to, to warrant two full books. If you had probably plotted a little bit more beforehand. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's, that's yeah. that. Um, I will, I'll take us out. You know, I don't, Sounds I good. never get to take us out. Do it. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take a little break and uh, be right back to talk about spectacular Spider-Man number one here on Marvel by the month.
1: All right. It's time to talk about uh, Marvel's experiment in magazine publishing. Um, the issue that we're going to be talking about is spectacular Spider-Man number one. So uh This is not the Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man comic that would start up in the 70s, um, but this was it was meant to be a quarterly magazine uh, with a 35 cent cover price, 62 pages of story in it. Um, So there was uh, the main story uh, is called Low This Monster, uh, written by Stan Lee, art by John Romita, embellished and ink washed by Jim Mooney. And then uh, there is a backup story for about 10 pages called In the Beginning, uh, which is a retelling of Spidey's origin written by Stan Lee, art by Larry Lieber uh, with Bill Everett. If you're wondering why Don Heck took over as the penciler of Amazing Spider-Man, here's your answer. Um, Ramita got pulled to do this. Um, it was an experiment to see if Marvel could expand into the magazine market. I, I have very limited knowledge about uh, how this all worked. I know that a lot of Martin Goodman's publishing empire was magazines, not comics. Um, but Joe, I think you know a little bit more uh, than we do about this stuff. What, what was the whole Goodman publishing empire
2: at this okay. point? So, Goodman's Publishing Empire it was called Magazine Management, right? So, the parent company of Marvel was, was Magazine Management. The reason it was called Magazine Management, because they managed a lot of magazines, right? <laughs> so, folks, may remember a little flashback to the Atlas episode we did. And at that period of time, uh, so actually, yes, in that episode, I believe I talked about how the very first ever Marvel publication was actually a pulp called marvel science stories number one right yes mm-hmm. that was in 1938 and you may also remember the cover uh one of the cover features of that was uh, the avengers of space total coincidence has nothing to do with the regular avengers but mm-hmm. kind of a cool tie-in.
0: yeah yeah so anyway
2: the point is this whole time goodman was making money doing magazines like in 1961 the comics weren't doing that well anymore but the men's magazines specifically were just sold like crazy.
1: When you say men's magazines, what what are yeah. these things?
2: Okay. So this episode, we talked about young men, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a comic, was an was originally a, an anthology comic that had stories about like young men going to war and then like boxing and like whatever all these little and then eventually it started the human torch. Young men is called young men because uh Mar- magazine management published a magazine called men. That was a men's adventure magazine. And fellas, if you never read one of these things, you are in for a treat because they're insane. And there's a lot of them. I wasn't something that was unique to Martin Goodman and magazine management because, you know, Martin Goodman, you know, never uh, let a trend slip by without trying to exploit it for all it was worth. And one of them that he did was, so he published men, male stag, um, few other ones and there's a lot of cool things about them one is they're just insane like uh they cover things like um if you can think of an animal there's an animal attack story like um (laughs) uh, frank zappa fans may remember the album weasels rip my flesh oh yeah that's called that because that's a story from man's life which i don't believe was a goodman and and so they did that and then like stories about and this is like in the 60s 50s, 60s and 70s stories about like Nazis, like, oh, there we found a Nazi castle. Here's a story about that. And there's some weird <laughs> sex stuff going on in there. Yeah. Or like ex- stories of explorers. And for the most part, all these comics, all, oh, excuse me, all these, they're not comics, all these prose stories are all fake, but <laughs> they're awesome. In fact, there's a publisher called New Texture that does a men's adventure library in fact, they just launched a quarterly magazine re, uh, republic uh, like reprinting a bunch of these and they're great, man. I'm addicted. And the cool thing is all the stories had a, like, usually had like a double page spread usually of uh, some painting and um, savage sort of Conan fans. And he actually masters of the universe. fans. remember like Earl Norm, for instance, that painter, he did a ton of these. And yeah, th- whatever the subject you want, uh, new texture has books about like, There's one about all the cryptozoological stories in there. There's one about the art of uh, the uh, motorcycle, like Hell's Angel type of bike. I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so this was going on this whole time, right, through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Concurrently, two things are happening. One is Warren Publishing starts putting out Creepy and Eerie. They haven't done Vampirella just yet, Mm -hmm. but they're doing Creepy and Eerie, which are these black and white ink wash magazines um usually featuring horror stories and it's creepier and eerie um and they also had uh famous uh monsters of film land so goodman sees a trend right so actually marvel's first ever um you guys mentioned an episode ago you guys love it when your guests do actually so here we go
1: yeah uh, yeah <laughs> uh
2: was actually the, the first ever marvel black and white magazine it wasn't a comic it was um a humor magazine taking stills from old monster magazines and Stan or whoever probably maybe Roy Thomas at certain points would like to add captions that would like really stupid jokes. (laughs) However, the first ever comic wasn't spectacular Spider-Man. It was, uh, so the the other thing I said, there's two things going on, right? The other thing is, uh, Hugh Hefner publishing playboy Mm -hmm. and Hugh Hefner is a big comics guy. In fact, he wanted to be a cartoonist. And so, uh, Hugh Hefner is like, oh, we should do comics. Well, first thing he tries to do is a is a mad magazine riff called Trump that was actually put together by Harvey Kurtzman, who started Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. But it cost a ton of money. Playboy wasn't Playboy at that time. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work out. So only two mag- But uh Hugh Hefner still loved Kurtzman. So he did two things. One was he had a 12-page Playboy profile interviewing Kurtzman, which think about that. A cartoonist being interviewed for 12 pages is one of the which was becoming, not quite yet, but was becoming one of the premier magazines like on the level of Esquire or whatever.
1: Um, right, right.
2: Everyone was reading it. Then he also commissioned Kurtzman and Will Elder and, and a slew of other cartoonists to do a little Annie Fanny, which was a uh, saucy humor comic strips, as you can imagine, would run in, in Playboy. So Martin Goodman's like, wait, hold on a second. So I published a bunch of, of saucy magazines and uh, people love these black and white comics. So what I'm going to do is we're going to run. I'm going to get my nephew Chip. I believe it's his nephew or his son, some relation. I'm going to have Chip Goodman, and he's going to oversee the creation of the Adventures of Pussycat, which is a black and white, just like there's no nudity, but it's, it's totally just like... It walks right up to that
1: line. It's mm-hmm.
2: right up to the wall. It, it's, it's essentially the, the, the secretary of the spy organization called SCORE, which is is an acronym um, fights the agents of lust l-u-s-t also an acronym which i don't think is ever defined what lust stands for right but anyway um so they ran those in male men annual men and stag and then the very first marvel comic book was a compilation of these things which was earlier 1968 it's never been reprinted but (laughs) Let me just say, you can find it on the internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: technically, this is now owned by Disney. I'm assuming they're going <laughs> to oh.
0: <laughs> Having taken a gander at it, uh, it yeah. is it is not standard Disney fare. Um, no. Yeah. Is- oh, my goodness. It is yeah. very exploit. It's funnier than not Brand Eck, though. Um, I'll okay. give it that.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, it's got a killer roster of cartoonists. I mean, Wally Wood kicks it off. It's uh I have a whole list here. Yeah. Wally Wood, Bill Ward, Jim Mooney, who shows up I think, uh, in um Spectacular Spider Man.
1: Yeah, he does the ink wash. Yeah.
2: So I mean it's not i mean it's it's a-listers doing this oh yeah thing.
1: yeah yeah and um, it's
0: horrifically sexist for you know just to make it very clear uh, yeah. to anybody who's
2: listening it, 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 yeah. is, it
1: is very of its time yeah, yeah.
0: um
2: I, I, I gotta stress fellas so men's magazines in general were sleazy <laughs> of the good Men's magazines were like the sleazy version of the sleazy wow. magazine yeah you know? <laughs> and believe it or not other publishers got even sleazier this is, uh, this is the 60s you yeah know? Like, yeah um They're wild. But the thing is, they were so... I mean, eerie and creepy were were legitimately sounding like crazy. Yeah. So, all right. So we did this experiment in the men's magazines with Adventures of Pussycat. We published that. That seemed to do well enough. And that, by the way, if you check the indicia, it's from Marvel Comics. That's a Marvel comic, technically. It (laughs) says published for Marvel Comics. It's not for magazine management. It's from Marvel Comics. So anyway, so then they do their first attempt at a legit black and white uh, magazine was Spectacular Spider-Man, which uh, if you haven't read a uh, creepy and eerie, Hey, you totally should. They're amazing. Yes. Um, but like they really innovated the whole black and white with ink wash look, which you can tell that Mark Goodman or Chip Goodman or Stan or whoever was like, okay, look at these magazines do this with Spider-Man.
1: Yes. If you're checking out spectacular Spider-Man, if, if the only version of it you have access to is the Marvel Unlimited one, then, you know, read the Marvel Unlimited one. But if you can see this in print, it doesn't even have to be the original. But I, I have like one of the Marvel Epic collections that has it in it. Um, there is a difference between the print version and what you get on the digital screen. Yeah, like,
0: the, the ink wash like that's that's hard to explain when you when you're used to reading comics or seeing comics, especially the 60s comics in digital form. To see that even in, in digital form for Spectacular Spider-Man is like, uh, just to describe it a little bit better, it's like a black and white inked comic, but then with a sort of pencil shading. You know, if you think of a, a normal, a real drawing you see in person, but that shading's, you know, more pronounced, but it's mm-hmm. it's got the all these tones that you don't get in a normal comic. So it doesn't feel as flat at all so yeah. oddly you lose the color but you gain this dimension to yeah. to what you're seeing and and they do i mean the painted cover that's in color it's like the most it's the closest to like alex ross you're gonna see of this era it's uh it, it looks like what what we would call real even when we were reading you know comics from the 70s when i was a kid it's like this looks like a photo man uh, yeah yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that's what they were competing with, and on that uh, that cover, by the way, is Harry Rosenbaum, who was one of the one of the main, main artists that where they used all the men's adventure magazines. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, so obviously it was like they're really pulling out their their a game there.
1: I mean, they they you can tell they they put a ton of effort into this. Like they really they spared no ex- uh, expense. And, you know, like I said, it was supposed to be a quarterly magazine. It only lasted two issues. There's a second issue that we'll talk about in a few episodes um, that winds up being all in color. But, you know, it, after that, it, it you know, yeah, they, they just pulled the plug on it, but, you know, the title and the format would appear again in the seventies, uh, in much more successful ventures. Like, you know, the, the Conan magazine, uh, the Hulk magazine, um, you know, Marvel will go back to the well on this. Mm-hmm. I think like a bunch of the monster stuff winds up being yeah, magazines. Too much, well,
2: Tuma Dracula is there. Yeah. I mean, my mm-hmm. favorite actually is Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah probably tied with savage sword of conan
1: mm-hmm. um maybe yep. it
2: depends on the month for which one I, I mean i love the kung fu comics but yeah i i mean i get why they went with spider-man it makes logical sense like totally. oh this is our yep. best-selling comic yeah well that will translate to this but it's like the people who were reading this were older so mm-hmm. the content skewed a little older like yeah. it, it it's not a typical spider-man story no there's a lot of political intrigue and there's like a like a Frankenstein's monster riff going on. Mm-hmm. So you could tell, again, it's very much one of those things we kind of went into with the Howard the Duck movie, where but yeah. Martin Goodman and company sure did it well, where it was like, all right, well, here's what's popular. So throw all these things that are popular into this one pot and see what, <laughs> what works. It yeah. doesn't quite work. I mean, this is a beautiful comic. Visually, yeah. honestly, it's probably one of the best Spider-Man comics of the era. Oh, yeah, totally. um, yeah. of our artistic value it's astonishing but it doesn't quite work for the format like I, I, I get why then they're like okay well obviously it didn't sell well enough so it's gonna be in color next issue and like our villain wasn't distinct enough so we'll use Green Goblin because that's a, in, in the second issue they're using Goblin that's one mm-hmm. of our, that's yeah. our big hitter heavy hitter you know So I I get it. I will say I'm really bummed out the experiment didn't work because I think it could have led to a lot of really interesting comics.
0: It could have changed comics as we know them now, you know, if if to to allow for this to happen and this kind of this style of art, just just the art, not even the the large format, but just to Mm -hmm. be able to if that had run parallel to sort of flat Mm -hmm. color comics, it would have been uh, it just would have opened up a whole different scene for uh, different kinds of artists and different, uh, you know, people with different talents. I think
1: if you could give me four 50 page John Ramita ink washed stories a year, oh, forget it. Yeah. Oh, so this, the story we'll, we'll get into that in just a second is it's not quite clear where it fits in continuity wise. Like there's nothing in the magazine that, that contradicts any of the six one six continuity, but it does wind up getting reprinted in color several years later in Amazing Spider-Man 116 to 118. They make some minor changes to the story um to update it a little bit. Jerry Conway writes some bridging copy, but it's it's not a, it doesn't appear as a flashback story. So it's it's being set like in continuity at that time. So did this happen here, you know, in 68 or, you know, does it come in later? Um that's kind of just a minor thing. But it is like it's very different as far as spider-man stories go like uh i mean first of all it's 52 pages long i don't i think like maybe we've had an annual that has had a spider-man story that long but like you don't typically see marvel stories coming anywhere near that length and it is it's it's a total political thriller um it 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 features uh it introduces richard raleigh um, who's a candidate for mayor of new york uh, who has a ton of money behind his campaign and no one quite seems to know where it's all come from. You know, so I say it's a political thriller, but I mean, the action starts right away with like this, this Frankenstein monster giant uh, punching through a Raleigh billboard um, and endangering the lives of two billboard painters. So of course, you know, Spidey has to you know immediately get into a tussle there um, and they sort of, they kind of fight to a draw like Spidey rescues the, the billboard painters and then he you know, sees that the, the giant has vanished. Uh, so that's kind of how how we set up the it's like, OK, something's going on now and, and we got to you know figure out where this is all going. So then uh, Peter runs into Harry Osborne and Mary Jane Watson. She's a huge Raleigh supporter. And as we follow Peter to the Daily Bugle, uh, we also learn that Betty Brandt and J. Jonah Jameson are, too. So we we really quickly learn that Raleigh's biggest supporters are women who think he's dreamy, and men who have a track record of being wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's not too subtle, you know yeah. which way this is going to go. I think
0: Robbie uh, and Captain Stacy show yeah. up in here, and they're both skeptical. You know, they're like, he seems all right.
1: Yeah, yeah. The two voices of reason are yeah. both like, mm, I don't know about that. And if there's any question as to whether or not Raleigh is a good guy, it is absolutely settled on page fourteen. So he he goes off the air following a televised speech where he blames the underworld for that Frankenstein monster giant rampage, um, and and this is he he says this to like a political lackey. He says. You expect me to worry about your worthless feelings? To me, you're just another sheep, like all the unthinking masses. One day, all who live will be my slaves. Nothing can change that. So, you know, pretty subtle.
0: Classic villain at this point,
1: yeah. Um. Also, uh, I, I think I emailed you guys about this, and I couldn't find any corroborating evidence for it, but if you look at pictures of George Romney, uh, Mitt Romney's dad from the era, uh, who was a major political figure uh, at the time he doesn't look miles apart from richard raleigh um <laughs> and the names are kind of familiar or you know kind of similar so mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know if that might have been the one subtle bit of political commentary that was being inserted in there but i couldn't come up with any you know anything to support that so <laughs> he could just be generic politician cuz george romney was also that um and and Stan is he although you know there's nothing subtle about the the political intrigue um he is writing for a slightly older slightly more sophisticated audience um in the story like there's there's so much commentary on politics and elections um that would go over the head of like an 11-year-old kid you know um not the target audience um also I don't know if you guys noticed this but he uh regularly uses periods to end sentences uh in the word balloons which yeah. is that's a new thing it
0: feels, feels very good. mature yeah
1: yes very <laughs> grown
2: up. i mean it really feels like he was writing his esquire spider-man you know yeah I mean? it really like, does again, it's like esquire meets warren publishing but with spider-man it's it's it's, a, it's hmm. kind of similar to the howard duck thing Although yeah. I think this is much more successful yeah. where it's like, all right, let's just put a bunch of stuff that's popular right now through the lens of Spider's character, Spider-Man, who's popular and see what happens, you know?
1: Yes. Um,
2: I mean, I need to be very clear, though. I highly recommend this comic.
1: Oh, me it, too. Yeah.
2: It's it's wild and it's an artifact, but mm-hmm. it's well worth it. it was, well, it's well worth while we're seeking out.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that occurred to me to, to speak to this sophisticated audience is that You know, at this point, the superhero, the Silver Age in Marvel is is seven years old. So, uh, Mm -hmm. some of the people who are reading this as teens are in college, uh, you know, um, who are writing letters in, like Walt Simonson, (laughs) notably, (laughs) who (laughs) second letter popped in this this month. But yeah, it's a. um, So I feel like this is an attempt to try to like keep bridge that gap a little Mm -hmm. bit and keep people which. They should do, and which is cool. And I wish it was more successful, because then you get a, a little more. Uh, I don't know. It it is slightly more interesting. I feel like this this story is where they missed. Like they could have been. Mm-hmm. They could have elevated the the way the story was told, or the you know the form of the narrative, like something a little bit uh, more than a classic fair or the classic comic structure. But still, they again, this is like the the best way to to throw this stew together um, and not end up with Howard the Duck
2: movie. I kind of wish they waited like four more years, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like post-Easy Rider, you know, sort of, I guess, would that be pre-Taxi Driver? Like that kind of era. Like, could you imagine a black-and-white Spider-Man magazine where he's like hanging out at the Deuce,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like like where it's grimy and just – it feels more like real New York. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, I, I think it could have been really cool.
2: And, uh, you know, I, I will say, like, with their later magazines, Marvel really does figure it out. You yeah. know, I mentioned Savage Sword. I mentioned Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Like, those, and Juma Dracula. I mean, those are all awesome. Also, I want to point out, because we're talking a lot about the lead feature, but one name who's come up who's been made fun of a little bit on the show, and I always defend him because I'm always like, Hey, trust me, he he only had a day to do it. Is Larry is Larry Lieber? Yeah. Because yeah. if you look at the story, the, so he does a backup story in this. It's the origin of Spider Man. Granted, he also was working with Bill Everett, who's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but dudes, it shows what happens when you give him some time. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it it shows that, It's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation of uh, Peter Parker's origin, and like as pointed out, it's obviously written. This is like the version that is written for adults. It's sophisticated. It's smart. It, it's even more tragic in some ways than the original. Um, All the
1: teenage intrigue is gone from it. Like it yeah. just really focuses on Peter and how he lets his family down. Um, it it hits a lot harder.
0: Yeah, I I even added a note to our to our uh, to our podcast notes, which I rarely have to do because mm-hmm. Brian is so thorough. But uh, this was because I I've given Larry Lieber so much crap. I did say. He either got more time or has considerably upped his skills because it's that's a it's great work. So I would like put it in just to make sure that we didn't end this segment before I mentioned that. So I'm yes. glad you brought it up too.
1: Yeah, it, it, like uh, Lieber and Everett, they make really good decisions about what to keep from the originals. Like, mm-hmm. it the, basically the story ends almost identically to the Lee Ditko mm-hmm. version, but the lead up to it is. Again, like I still love the Lee Ditko version, but I really like this one too.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's the gut
0: wrencher.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, so let's see. Uh, okay, so um, back to the story. Peter uh, picks up Gwen, and they go to a, a Raleigh rally, and uh, Peter winds up having to do some plain clothes Spider Manning to uh, keep a light fixture from crushing the crowd. Then we cut back to Raleigh's office We learned that the light fixture was supposed to crash Into the crowd because he's trying to build This impression that the underworld Is out to get him because he's Going to be the person who's going to uh, Bring them down and if anyone still Thinks Raleigh might not be the villain of the piece <laughs> He opens a secret Door in his office and descends into a basement Where his pet mad scientist has the Giant strapped down Frankenstein Style right uh, which is My panel
0: of the month this page I was I just drooled over this this monster looks like he's i don't know 12 feet tall um <laughs> it's just a huge monster strapped with like the the iron straps um all the the trappings you might imagine from seeing uh an early frankenstein movie or boris karloff mm-hmm. version um the computers and the sort of rays and he's got like a big metal cap on his head so this is where the black and white just pays off. It looks so cool. And this yeah. has
1: got to be the, like the Warren magazine influence, oh, yeah. right? Like, I mean, because yeah. this this is where it turns into a monster story, um, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um And it's funny. It's like, even though it's not subject to code approval, like I, I almost got the feeling it's like to kind of want this to be a Frankenstein story, but. It's like, not quite, not quite. We can't quite go there. <laughs> right. um, or
0: they're just used to it. Like, uh, we yeah. don't swear as much when we're doing a podcast. I don't know what the hell's <laughs> up with that.
1: Yeah, I do think you guys are
2: right. I do think there's an element of like, all right, well, what can we do here? You know? Yeah. yeah. And the cool thing is, again, as these black and white magazines progress, like they think, oh, okay. There's no restrictions. Yeah. All right, let's go. Yep. And yeah. It, they go. And it's yeah. wild.
1: Uh, yeah. It, it's pretty great. Um, also, uh, great is, um, uh, when we, we uh, cut to Jonah's uh, Jonah Jameson's social club, uh, and Jonah's trying to drum up support for Raleigh, he's a big Raleigh supporter. Captain Stacy, who apparently is also a member of the club, um, uh, he, he's skeptical and he says to Jonah, Well, what does anyone really know of Richard Raleigh? He photographs well, he's against sin, and he supports motherhood and apple pie. <laughs> and Jonah says, Are you questioning my judgment, Stacy? And Stacy says, well, since you never questioned it, perhaps someone should. <laughs> so oh, sick burn, George. <laughs> yeah. The sickest of burns. <laughs> and then you know Peter checks in on Aunt May. Of course, she is a huge supporter of Raleigh because Aunt May's just she's just wrong about everything. Oh yeah. She she loves Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And then uh Captain Stacy tells Jonah uh, that he's going to do a little digging into Raleigh's background, which uh, Jonah passes along to Raleigh immediately uh, when he <laughs> goes to interview him. But now Raleigh knows that Stacy's onto him. So his man monster has been powered up uh, even further and Raleigh six him on uh, Stacy. So the monster is heading toward the Stacy's house. Peter has just picked Gwen up for a date. Um, when the monster shows up in the neighborhood, uh, he tells Gwen to call the police. He changes into a spider duds uh, and he goes after the giant. He, he's not really hurting it, but he manages to get it to um, focus on him instead of Captain Stacy. And he winds up leading him toward Raleigh's townhouse because he notices that the monster gets really upset whenever he sees Raleigh's face in a billboard. <laughs> when they get to Raleigh's townhouse, Raleigh just spills like every bean in the bag um he, he just completely in excruciating detail spells out exactly what his whole plan has been all along and uh he has the, the remote control uh, that he's been using to control the the man monster um he overloads him uh, breaks his own control and then the giant like this is something i really don't think they could have gotten away with in a code book but the giant just like absolutely crushes Raleigh and like brings a wall down on him, but it's, it's not like done in silhouette or anything. It's just like, just absolutely decks him.
2: Yeah. They make it very clear. This Raleigh dude is dead. Oh yeah. Like, he got punched to death no in yeah. terms. He's killed. Yes. He's murdered.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and like the giant, he, he brings the whole wall down on him, kills the mad scientist. Uh, and then Spidey, like karate chops him in the neck uh, and, and, destroys the thing that was uh implanted in him to control him and that kills the man monster so like spidey killed the villain which is something we haven't seen him do and he doesn't seem to agonize about it too much either
0: yeah i think this is where they're like wait there's no code right like they got this far <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we could just kill all these guys um Yeah, and then uh, the cops and Jonah and Joe Robinson arrive on the scene. Spidey flees, leaving a dead man monster, a dead mad scientist, and a dead Richard Raleigh in the rubble. Um, Jonah vows to blame Spider-Man for their deaths. Robbie tries to talk him off the ledge. The end. Um, So that's how the story wraps up. There there are parts of it that don't, don't work, but the sum of it is so much better. Than the individual pieces um, And yeah. like Ramita's art is so good In this and the ink wash just complements it so well um, I just I really love this issue uh, I don't think I had ever read it before um, And I'm really glad that I did Yeah I mean
2: I, I think if nothing else It's just such a beautiful Artistic artifact And sort of like hint at what could have Been mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah. That I, I I just can't recommend it Enough it's beautiful yeah. And you guys are right. You really need to get it in print. It's okay on Marvel Unlimited, but it's just, it, it obviously, I mean, that's the thing is this, this, this black and white ink watch, you look at old creepy and, 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 and eerie, especially like they knew what they were doing when it came to how to draw for the the printing,
1: you yeah. know, yeah. in the
2: mm-hmm. format. And so it really is made to be read like that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's our uh, comics for the month. So that uh, brings us to our recommendations um, for things that are not 1960s Marvel comics that we might suggest that you check out uh, and improve your brain. I will uh, go ahead and recommend uh, what I'm reading right now, actually, um, which is the uh, third volume of Black Panther. Um, This is the one that uh, came out in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's written by Christopher Priest. Mark Teixeira is the original artist. Joe Jusko does some art, um, and it it goes through several different artists. But I'm reading my way through the entire uh, complete collection of the run right now. I read part of this, I think, when it was uh, published in the late '90s. I'm also just kind of realizing, like, a lot of it just went over my head, and like I, I took a fair amount of it for granted. It, like, for example. I didn't realize until I was going back uh, and reading it now, like it took 32 years for a black writer to write black Panther, um, which is kind of wild. Priest does a great job with it. He, He totally understands how this character works. He turns it into like this political thriller. So very appropriate to, the spectacular Spider-Man story and also like so much of what winds up becoming the Marvel cinematic universe, black Panther comes straight out of the storyline. Like he introduces characters and concepts uh, like Everett Ross is a priest creation. Um, And as we talk more about the black Panther being uh, an Avenger, I think there will be some more context to add because priest also like looks back on Black Panther's early appearances and kind of retcon some stuff and add some context to it. So for example, as uh, Douglas Wolk alluded to a few episodes ago, it retcons the Panthers reasoning for joining the Avengers in the first place, which is that these superheroes just emerged on the scene. He wasn't sure if they were trustworthy or not. So he joined them to spy on them, which is kind of great. Like that totally <laughs> explains why this you know African king leaves his empire behind and to go hang out with some superheroes in New York for a few years, like yeah,
0: monitor a potential global threat or yeah. a threat to his kingdom. You yep. know, it's sort of the the Nick Fury in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is especially. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm bringing this team together because how would we stop them if we got to <laughs> find out if they're going to work with us or for us? Or you mm-hmm. know, um, so it's a similar reasoning. Well, I'll take next swing in a totally different direction i had mentioned last episode um flex mentalo and yes. i've mentioned the invisibles previously so i thought i would round it all out with grant morrison's the filth which is uh <laughs> grant morrison chris weston and gary erskine uh or erskine this came out uh on dc's vertigo line in 2002 2003 and um it's 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 considered by by Grant Morrison as stated that this is sort of a an accompanying trilogy of sort of this hyper metatextual stuff that he had built around the Invisibles in Flex Mentallo. So if you need a break from the staid superhero fair, but wanna want this crazy trip into something like sex criminals meets David Lynch, meets 1984, meets Philip K. Dick, then then take your brain on a paranoid vacation and go read the filth. Um, besides it being pretty filthy, uh, and breaking the fourth wall and touching on a bunch of sci-fi and spy themes in new ways. The rumor is that this started as a pitch for a Nick Fury run to Marvel from Grant Morrison. (laughs) So if you read it in that context and, you know, with the Steranko, uh, Nick Fury stuff we're reading now it is yeah. it does seem like this next level weird inverted paranoid yeah you know uh of the time kind of thing um I was
1: gonna I was gonna say like if like having read the filth if if you imagine like so what does a Staranko Nick Fury story look like 30 years later you know and five <laughs> yes. generations later it yeah it kind of looks like the filth like yes.
0: in, yeah it's a it's a great book and it's it's the especially the collection is so it's so weirdly self-referential and has like, like, like cigarette smoking warnings kind of about reading or ingesting the filth or, you know, in <laughs> before you get to the material and there's yep. things like that throughout it. So it's a, it's just, it's so well done in its very bizarre way as, as is the invisibles and um, the Flex Mentallo, yep. um piece too. So, you know, if you want to see what other ways comics work, um, and still touch on these things uh, it, it is doing that thing that i've said about you joe with shutter uh it's just doing things that comics should do like you can go you can do anything <laughs> yeah. um you know there is no special effects budget here you can just do it and uh draw it and and define it and make it real so uh this is that kind of comic
2: right on well if i would throw a recommendation in here I would highly recommend just in general. People have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about these men's adventure magazines. Got to look <laughs> into them. They're amazing. <laughs> a good segue from this podcast to this subject is a book that Fanagraphics published called The Secret History of Marvel Comics, not to be confused with Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. This is The Secret History of Marvel Comics by Blake Bell. And it's specifically looking at the Martin Goodman end of these men's adventure magazines. If you want to check out the art, there's including that, there's two other art books you can get. One's called It's a Man's World, and one is actually published by Tash and just called Men's Adventure Magazines. All that being said, my number one recommendation to get into this is the from New Texture Publishing. It's just they have a whole line now. There's like a 12 books called the Men's Adventure Uh Library. Um, you could start off with the first one, which is a collection of stories called Weasels Rip My Flesh. Uh, the the bank uh, zappa story is named after or the album is named after um my favorite is probably they did a art book that i alluded to earlier about some of the hell's angels inspired, inspired art called barbarians on bikes and uh, a little little pro tip from old jovial joe to you is if you go on amazon and you go on the use section and you look for the one sold by robert d's Uh, D E I S. He's the editor of all these and he's actually selling them directly and we'll sign them for you. And they're usually cheaper than the Amazon price. So if you want to support a creator, there you go. But I love these things. Uh, He's on Flickr and Instagram at subtropic Bob. And he just posts the most wild art from these things. Um, But they're unlike anything else you're going to read. And again, there's the Marvel connection because a lot of the artists that you love, are drawn stuff for these that you'll never see anyone You'll never look at Earl
1: Norm the same way. That's for sure. <laughs> and that's a good thing. I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh well, uh, Joe, thanks for joining us again. What can we plug for you? We just wrapped the uh, Kickstarter from Birds Eye Comics for
2: the Beebop Number One. They're pretty good about having ways for you to pre-order it, but so that's the main thing. Comics wise, my next thing is probably not going to be announced for a few more months here, but I've got some really cool cooking, and I'm pretty pumped to finally talk about it
0: on here. Well, we will, uh, yeah, we'll get you back before that that comes out. I'm too. sure
2: I'm coming for that record on this. By the way, I forget the other guy who's who, who who's got the number one spot in terms of guest appearance. I'm coming for him. So I'll be back
0: next <laughs> th- week. I think I'm you're now by the month. tied. Wait, I think this oh, is I either
1: this is either tied or. I think this is Joe's a, in the
0: lead now because of the Howard, the duck. Right. So
1: oh, here we go. Okay. If not
2: I'm back next week. Either way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Oh man. Well, uh, Joe, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you always, oh, my pleasure, yes. you always yeah. just, uh, you, you bring your a game uh, every single time. Um, we always yeah. learn some new and wonderful stuff. Uh, yeah. In the best ways it doesn't,
0: yeah. it doesn't hurt like learning does sometimes. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, always my pleasure, guys. I mean, from the moment you told me that you're doing this podcast, I knew I, I had to, I had to get in. So yeah, was,
0: yeah, you were I'd definitely be. the first and most um, enthusiastic person we talked to <laughs> at Rose City. Um, <laughs> the first guest,
1: it, we didn't have to like call in favors to get on yeah, the show. and I
0: think you might have helped convince Ibrahim. I don't know, but he he came on board pretty quick too. Um,
1: have you guys
2: read Count yet? Ibrahim's graphic humanoids
1: we haven't read it yet but I, I have pre-ordered
2: two copies well this guy's read it let me tell you it's awesome It seriously i mean it, 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 yeah. it's, it's a little weird for me to plug because he is also one of my favorite human beings on earth yeah. one of my best friends and was the witness at my wedding but i will say it is really one of my favorite comics of the year like i'm so pumped for people to finally read it um, yeah it's beautiful stuff so that's my second big plug
1: nice yeah, weasels rip
2: yeah. my flesh And count. (laughs) Also,
1: is is this going to be a thing now? Like, you're going to find a way to work Zappa into every episode you appear on? Do it. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm I'm in. Sweet. Um, Well, uh, as for our stuff, uh, you can uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where they let you review a podcast. If you uh, would like to give us five stars, we would certainly appreciate that if you want some free stuff in the mail, uh, send us a screenshot of that to Marvel by the month at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the month and marvelbythemonth.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop. So that's it for this week. Uh, until next week, my name is Brian Stratton and mine is Rob Milne. And, and we have you... in stores March 16th. <laughs> <laughs> stay safe, stay, stay healthy and stay inside and read comics. <laughs> yes.